welcome everyone to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts, an SB Nation College Top 10 Podcast. We're on season uh, five? Yeah. Five, season five, 32. Oh, shoot. I lost it. 32, episode 32, and we are here to talk about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program. I am your host, Sam Selling. With me, as always, you've already heard his voice from the plains of Indiana, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm fine. Welcome to the doldrum edition. It is, it's the slow season, Samuel. It's so slow that it's I, officially like, a dead started. period. I, I forgot to bring up what episode we were on. Um, it is, uh, so we're recording this May 25th. Uh, which is a Wednesday, the Wednesday before Memorial Day. Um, since our last podcast, absolutely nothing has happened other than a uh, maybe a couple offers. I think they've thrown out maybe a handful of offers since then. Um, they were spraying them out before our last podcast, and it's 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 quieted down a little bit. I believe we're in a we're in a quiet period. But uh, yeah, there's been no new additions to the Missouri basketball roster. Uh, we're still sitting at at uh, 11 scholarship players with two open spots. Jamarian Sharp is still going to Western Kentucky. Uh, and so far, so far, uh, Dennis Gates and his staff have not replaced uh, Jamarian Sharp's rim protection or expected rim protection since he was technically never a member of the roster uh, to begin with. Um there's not a lot going on. No, um, there, there's really not. The one thing I sort of wondered was, would we see them potentially get involved with guys who are sort of pulling their names out of the NBA draft? Um, that deadline is on June 1. That's sort of the next sort of, you know, a lot of times you'll see maybe borderline, usually second round guys to, you know, G League to 10 day kind of guys sort of split the the difference and put their name in the portal and declare for the draft. But if they come back, they may say, I'm actually going to transfer somewhere else. Um, so maybe if you if there were some guards or a couple of bigs um, that were looking at doing that, I thought maybe they might try and get involved somewhere, but that doesn't appear to have materialized. Um, anybody in the portal right now, a lot of, is probably um, a depth piece at best right now uh so realistically uh, you know I, the sharp was sort of the last chance saloon as, as far as a guy who was probably a starter level guy for them to add now i think what you're really looking at you know barring you know something extremely surprising is you know just rounding out depth pieces here um we talked about it a little bit in the q a today on the site about um, the JUCO market, but specifically, you know, what our expectations are for Muhammad Diara. I, I think the expectations for a guy like him have radically changed in the last month, um, given what transpired with Jamari and Sharp's recruitment. So it's quiet. Um, and as you kind of cast a glance around, there's not many obvious, you know, targets that, you know, you could say, hey, why don't you call that guy? We're at the point where the market's pretty barren right now. So we'll see what they do. Because um, I, I think... I, I also tend to think that like at this point, 
if you haven't made contact, it's probably too late to make contact. Yeah. Um, I think you, if, so let's say there is somebody that is available that you're interested in, like you should be making contact pretty quickly. Um, establishing a level of interest, maintaining contact. Like this is pretty much how a lot of recruiting goes. And, you know, as, as let's say it's one of those guys who sort of, you know, borderline in the NBA draft or not, like you're, you're making sure that you're in the picture if they decide to come back into school. Um, I don't like, I get the impression, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I really feel like the, um, the overtness at which the pursuit of Jamarian Sharp happened, like how sort of public it was. I almost wonder if like the, the public pursuit and then the subsequent like public rejection maybe kind of scared the staff a little bit into uh, leaking out kind of some of the guys that they were, um, they were in contact with and pursuing and interested in and, and looking into or whatever, however you want to talk about it. Um, because it does sort of feel like since that news, like there's basically been nothing that's come out other than, you know, extending offers into 23, 24 and 25 kids. I also think that they really, I mean, they tried to get in with a guy like F.A. Abagidi, um or Agobiti. I can't remember how to pronounce the last name, but that quickly fell apart there. And then I just think they sort of got to the, place where they're like you know we have the connection here we've got the ability to sort of you know place this most strategic bet with jamari and sharp and just every bit of intelligence you pick up here is they were stunned that how quickly that situation turned and i think if they had had a clue that it was going that way i don't think they would have gone into that final weekend with the portal closing not having tried to build in some backup plans um and I, maybe a few too many eggs in one basket. Uh, yeah. And, but then the thing is like, we talked about a couple weeks ago, like if you looked around, you know, Ashuna Shuni had already like cut his list and, in, you know, Kudus Wahab was out there. That was a guy I would have wanted to kick the tires on earlier. They never did kick the tires there, but that was a guy I would have, you know, wanted. I would also put the caveat on that uh, never kick the tires that we know of. That we like, know of, but yeah. that would have been there's there's been no reported interest in any of the of these other guys. No, but that's but those were guys that I think had you known or had you suspected that maybe the sharp thing was going to get, you know, the waters were going to get deeper relatively quick. There, you would have probably backstopped it a little bit, and even not that way, but just finding guys who could give you forty minutes, you know, forty percent of minutes or like eighteen to twenty minutes a night at that spot would have been probably advisable. And it just didn't happen. And now you're in a position where, you know, the market's cleared a little bit. So if you're bringing somebody in here, you know, to what end is it going to serve? You know, the staff, you know, when they did its big introductory meeting, we you know it said they were very confident they were going to fill the spots and not to doubt them or, or cast dispersions on them. But, you know, I heard that. I'm like, well, well who, <laughs> who, who is it? Um, I thought the sharp thing for a long, long time, you know, to me, the public nature of how that played out, you know, was just sort of like you were giving, like you were just telegraphing it and giving Western Kentucky time to load up to make a counter. 
So I always thought that was sort of suspicious there. It was like, yeah, I know they've got the Smith-Peters relationship. Yeah, I know he played for him, and I know it's a high major offer, but he's known his head coach for a long, long time, too. He, his head coach's nickname is literally Slick Rick. Do you want to give a guy named Slick Rick <laughs> a month to put yeah. together something? So it was. it just felt like when he went into the portal, it was – a clear leverage play to which I respect it. Hey, if you could, if you got to do that to earn something close to your fair market value, do it. But it just felt like if you've got sharp and you've got this connection and it's a key and it's a centerpiece of what you want in this class, lock it up as quickly as you can. It got to the point, I think over the last couple of weeks where I was just like, if this is a guy at the top of your board, don't let it play out unnecessarily if you don't have to. So uh, that was sort of my thing. It just felt like the longer it went, the worse it was likely going to end up for Mizzou. And lo and behold, it did. So, Well, yeah, and I think that's – I think I even wrote something along these lines, but it sort of being an opportunity for a lesson, um, you know, sort of understanding – you know, and I, I'm a, I'm a believer that the Missouri job can be a good job. I, I think the you know the investment that they've made into the staff and uh, you know the money that they made available to sort of bolster out the support staff is something that is really encouraging. Um, you know, but there's a sort of a reality of of Missouri and like what Missouri is right now. And you have to really kind of consider like, you know, the last eight years or so years, um, which it's, it's been a challenge uh, for Missouri to sort of find its footing in the SEC. Uh, It's not a top tier SEC program. Uh, It's sort of the outlier and it's geographic, um, you know, region of being uh, this (laughs) Northwestern most spot in in the league. Um, and so, well, I, you know, I do think that, um, you know, Dennis Gates and, and his staff, like this is the kind of staff you need to assemble if you want to sort of go up the ladder. Uh, I think it's a, it, the loss of Jamarian Sharp was hopefully a little bit of a realization that you need a little bit more. And, if you're if they were in fact putting all their eggs into that basket uh and it and that's what it seems like right now like i don't want to project that you know like they they weren't talking to these other players like all we know is what's been kind of you know reported and what we have on background and um and what's been reported and what we have on background seems to kind of line up with the fact that they seemed really confident that that they were going to get Jamari and Sharp. And so when that didn't happen, okay, like that's a, that's a lesson that you're going to learn where like, if you're, if you're not a top tier program in a high major conference, like you're going to take a lot more of those lumps than you might expect to. Um, you know, I, I would, I would maybe equate it to like looking you know, Dennis Gates in his early period at Florida State when they were just sort of trying to crack into that 
that middle tier. You know, they were, they weren't bad, but they, they certainly weren't, you know, uh, going to the NCAA tournament every year. And then they sort of got on that streak. Well, that's, that's kind of where you're at now. Like you're not going to win all those battles, even if you have the right NIL package, even if you have the right relationship, um, you know, someone else may have a more attractive opportunity. Uh, and so I think M- Missouri in large part, uh, or at least this staff in large part is, is probably going to have to sort of figure out, you know, where they are early and be able to kind of get in and, and, and get out when, when you, you need to. Yeah. And I think the one thing that at least the sharp thing, and I think I wrote it was that that was a, a pretty cold, you know, dousing of water to the face for the fan base. And, and I, you know, I think if they do fill that spot, it's going to be sort of another bucket that comes at them because this is a roster that right now is, is probably, you know, I think we've said it a bunch already, probably fits stylistically more with what Dennis wants. But I think if you were to line this roster up in terms of raw talent, I don't know if it's that much farther ahead of where the roster was a year ago. It's a little older. Um, They've aged the roster. I think the fit's better um, for what Dennis wants to do. The ball handling's gotten better, but, you know, I don't think you look at this roster and see an alpha scorer, a guy who can go, you know, create offense in a vacuum. The jump shooting is questionable. They're lacking rim protection. You know, if you're looking at kind of maybe the forecasted top three in terms of usage, it might be Kobe Brown, Nick Honor, and Noah Carter. Is that an NCAA tournament or bubble worthy sort of trio right there? And to be clear, even if you had had Jamari and Sharp there, I'm not sure that it would have necessarily been at that level. So I think what maybe sort of the blessing here is I think it helped recalibrate expectations because I think what had happened from about late March through late April was there was just so much activity going on and everyone conflated it with obvious improvement and that sense of optimism I think naturally you know you, you want to believe that, that things are getting better and that you know the staff has has the right outlook and has the right blueprint to to get the program back to a much more at least stable footing but I think now that you'll have a month sort of since the sharp thing kind of transpired you can really look at it and go and sort of coldly and rationally look at this roster and say okay, it's probably a 500 roster. Any additions we make now are going to be on the fringes. It's really going to come down now, I think, to what the first year looks like. But really what this staff does, you know, as you mentioned earlier, as the boards fill out, what are they going to be able to do in 2023? They've rapidly, you know, filled that board out. I think they're at 16 or 17 names there. They're at 18 names and 24 you know, we're getting ready to go into June when those kids are guys you want to get on campus. This roster, I think right now, we have to accept the idea that maybe it's going to be closer to a 500-level team, but the real work for this staff starts in about two weeks. That I think that's that's when the real rubber meets the road for the staff, when they start to have to try and, you know, really make inroads of 23 and 24 kids. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting few months um as we sort of get into you know june and july uh and you start to kind of see you know the board uh fill out and thin out and and sort of take shape 
Uh, and I think that's kind of one of the things that, that you and I wanted to talk about. Absent uh, really any other roster uh, <laughs> moves, uh, it's probably a good opportunity to at least discuss a little bit of, you know, what the staff is doing um, in recruiting. Uh, I actually wrote a piece, I don't even know when that was, last week, um, sort of talking about how, you know, everybody like points to the portal. And I think actually you have, you had some data on it. Um, everybody gets really excited about like a lot of the portal stuff, but I still think where Missouri is going to move up the ladder, as we said before, is, is actually with high school recruiting and by landing a lot better players, um, you know, and signing them out of high school. And that's one of the things that Florida state did really well with both Gates and, and, and see why, um, you know, on staff with, with, with coach ham. And, um, and I certainly think that that's the right way to go. Um, really moving forward. And I, I think, for me, like the two most exciting players on the roster um, right now for Missouri are a high school signing and a JUCO signing. Yeah, and that's that's Mohamed Diara and, and Aiden Shaw. Like I'm, I'm a big believer in the talent of those guys. Um, you know, and, and that you're getting that level of talent. Uh, hopefully, you can shape it into productive college uh, players. But I think, like, essentially, you need to recruit from high school, and I think you can include junior college in that. Um, recruit the players that are going to be the difference makers on your roster, and then you supplement uh, the rest of your roster. And I think you kind of agree with me on this. Um, you supplement that talent uh, through the portal. I'd have, to go, um, I'd have to go look at the figures, but something like only one in five like guys whose usage is equivalent to the top one or two places in rotation. So basically, you're, you're playing A and you're playing B guys. We'll call them that. 80% of those guys are, are prep guys. 80% of them. So if you're looking for guys who are going to go get you in the mix, you're going to still go get them in high school. Like a lot of times, you know, up transfers can, you know, kind of fill in spots three, four, five, six. Um, You do see some up transfers. You do see some, you know, high major guys who move between power conference programs. But a lot of times they're moving between really, really established programs like a James Akinjo is not leaving Arizona to come to Mizzou. He's leaving Arizona to go to Baylor. Um, sometimes you'll see something like an Isaiah Brockington leaving a Penn State and going to an Iowa State. But Iowa State, at least in terms of Kim Palm, was a team in the 40s and 50s. You don't see a lot of guys, really. There's maybe less than 10 each year that at least – over the past couple of years when we've had a lot of player movement where those guys wind up being key contributors. A lot of guys who are key contributors on teams were recruited there originally by that staff. So I think that that's something I keep looking at here when we talk about what this staff is, what this roster is lacking. It's really lacking, you know, three or four prep kids that they landed, they brought here and they developed. What they've done is they've, you know, if this were year three, and these were the pieces they brought in to kind of backfill an established core, then I think you'd feel really good. But this staff, and I, and in a way, I think you can feel good that this staff, you know, is 
you know, found guys that seem to fit what they want to do in the portal. But the guys who are going to elevate this program are going to be high school seniors and high school juniors. And they have to go and get those kinds of guys, particularly in the front court, um, which they've really targeted heavily in 23 on the floor next year. I think that that's going to be a big need for them. Um, they're going to lose probably maybe two or three of those guys. And then they're going to look probably more in the backcourt in 24, just based on the offers that have gone out. So the the next two cycles are really, really big as far as this staff establishing what it's going to, you know, what this program is going to look like and, and kind of the top end of what this roster is going to look like. And so they do have uh, five, five seniors um, on this next year's roster, two of which could have extended eligibility if they elect to take their COVID year. That's Kobe and Noah, I think. Uh, Nick Honor. I believe Noah is listed. Yeah, he's a um, he's listed as a junior or li- going to be listed as a junior. Nick Honor is going to be listed as a senior. Okay. Um, so I believe how it works is Co- uh, Carter will have two years yeah. and I believe can apply for a third. Um, Honor uh, has. Basically has one, but you have to like, you have to apply for the extra year. Um, so that's up to the, the player and, you know, the coach university. So like Kobe Brown, as an example, very clearly, you know, Kobe's been at Missouri this whole time. Uh, he's going into his senior year. Um, but because one of those years was a COVID year, like he could elect to uh, transfer. Uh, and play an additional year, kind of like Javon Pickett did. Um, Mark Smith. He could he could apply for a waiver, uh, you know, and and get another year at Missouri, uh, or he could just give up on college basketball, and move on. Uh, and I think like, but but uh, DeAndre Golston, Trigle Million, uh, Demoy Hodge are all done. Uh, those three guys are done. Like they're already. This is their COVID year coming up, um, and so I think that certainly makes. You know, I, I I would say that if if it were me, I would I would probably be okay bringing Nick Honor back. But um, I don't know with the way the roster is is sort of set up, I'd probably be okay if Kobe Brown, mainly because he's probably taking his brother. <laughs> uh, and you know, I hate to even like talk, uh, you know, about players like that, but. I don't think a lot of people sort of view Caleb as a uh, a difference maker at, at the high major level, um, you know. And I think if if, I think if Sean, Kobe's around, Caleb's around. If Kobe's not around, Caleb's probably not on the roster. Yeah. Um, but you definitely want to sort of focus the twenty three twenty four roster more around kind of at Diara Shaw, maybe with you know Noah Carter playing a heavier role, and, and then I think. Sean East still has Sean, Sean East and, and Nick Honor still as the, the the point guard role. I think you're you're doing okay. Yeah, and it looks like with with some bigs, I should say. Yeah, they've they really came out swinging in twenty three and twenty four, looking at the big market. Um, I think probably like two thirds of the offers that have gone out in those classes have gone out to bigs. Um, they had a written page on campus a couple of weeks ago, so they've. I think it's pretty clear what they're least early on looking to do. I'm sorting the list right now. 
it looks like they're probably almost half. Yeah, they have four combo forwards. Yeah, almost half these guys are post prospects. Eight of eight of the sixteen offers that have gone out. I think, I think you've got a more extensive list than I have. The list that I have, uh, I haven't updated my <laughs> a few. Things. Yeah, but there are sixteen offers in twenty three. I've got six. I believe six post players. Um, and probably like Matt Reed was like one of his his first offers even before he had a staff in place. Yeah. Um, if Matt Reed's the guy that they really want, I think that's a guy that they could probably go get. Uh, and he, I've got him listed as a combo forward, yeah. but he's probably more of like a, a little bit more of a post. Yeah. So it either I am they're all kind of under the bigs category there. Um, the other name that I think is probably worth keeping an eye on is Jordan Butler out of a uh, Greenville, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, um top depending on the service you use um anywhere between top 30 and top 60 uh his brother is uh john butler who is staying in the nba draft but was recruited by uh i think he might be a coach hamilton guy because he's out of he's out of the carolinas and coach hamilton has connections there but regardless he was recruited by young and hamilton to tallahassee so there's a deep connection there so if you're looking for a big there, those would kind of be the names I would keep an eye on, at least read early on, just because he's a guy who's, you know, still kind of low in the composite. He's around 0. 0.9 in the 247 composite. They had Page on campus, and there's the connection with Butler. So those would kind of be the three names I would sort of look at hey, early. I really want to see him go all the way with, with Joseph Estrella, just because uh, I love the idea of like a dude from, from Maine. Um, can't remember we like we talked about in the pod, but like, like Maine just does not produce. They've got two guys who maybe like top one hundred kids this year. <laughs> they got a kid who's getting Duke offers, who's a five star kid. It's a big year. It's a big year for Mainers. Uh, the offer, and I like I've been to to, to Portland, where uh, where Australia's from, um, Australia. Um, maybe it's Estrella, and maybe maybe he's like just embraced. I'm assuming. It's uh, it's you know more Spanish, so Australia. That's fine. I, I'm excited that they reoffered Parker Friedrichson because that that's a that's a Slack channel favorite right there. That guy can bang in jumpers. Um, but we'll see if that even matters or if he's just going to go back to his original kind of group of five there. But there are he he has said in some uh some recent interviews that you know he's he's going to be a lot more patient this time around and. And Missouri uh, does seem to be uh, a school that you know because he had he had done the unofficial visit. He does he does really like the new staff, and um, yeah, you know, they're gonna have a shot. So, and I I agree with you. Like that's that's definitely a kid. You get like a six four six five kid who can shoot at a forty so, light it up. He's already shooting like, at a forty percent clip in high school. Um, yeah, that that trans that usually portends good things. At the next level, also he flipped from playing for a local team to running with Mocan, so that's always good when they're sort of in that. Oh yeah, I did see that. Yeah, so he's he's running. He's out of a Bixby, Oklahoma, had been running with a team in Tulsa, but then flipped to Mocan. So those are just some of the names I look at right off the top there. Um, you know, then I think there's some names that you know you're going to look around, see some out of Florida, maybe a couple out of Georgia. That those seem like uh, CY type kids. That's that's where his connections are. Dicky nuts kind of everywhere. It looks like they've got Kyle Smith Peters kind of working, 
with the local groups, local group, and sort of tracking local programs like MoCan, KC Run GMC, uh, Brad Beal Elite, those types of programs. Seems like he may be the guy that's sort of handling the backyard sort of situation. But 24, as we said, I'm sort of focusing on bigs in that class. Um, they've offered a couple of guys recently who are more wings, but they seem to be working off of guys who are um, quickly rising their stock, which would make sense. Um, CY has said in other interviews uh, when he was with Florida State that you know, the key is to be there early to make those kinds of bets on guys. So I'm not really surprised that they're maybe trying to put some offers out there and see if they can be the first one through the door. 24 is a little bit, like we said, heavier on the wings and on the ball handling side of the fence. It makes sense. If you're keeping some veterans around, those guys are going to cycle out from their COVID years. So you'll probably need to go hunt there. Um, the one thing that's interesting here is a lot of about half these guys in each class don't have a composite rating right now. If that were Conzo Martin's staff, everyone would be losing their collective minds. <laughs> half, the, <laughs> half the guys who have offers don't have a composite rating. Um, but it's 24, um, so that class is still shaking out right there. But, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. They've they've been heavy on the wings there. They've only offered, I think, like five or six interior guys. The other 12 are perimeter players. Um, and I really don't think, like, a lot of, a lot of the – National recruiting sites don't really look to rank uh, kids' tiers out as hard as they do. No, like, they're they're really only ranking hard like... and making sure they get their 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 top level rankings right. Yeah, uh, and then they sort of yeah they sort of figure out. I mean, I, I assume probably by the time we get an updated uh, by the July period twenty four we'll... rankings, yeah, we'll 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 see a lot of these guys probably ranked. Yeah, um, but that. But those those kids right now, like I said, it, uh, what I'm looking at right now is more or less where it's the distribution of offers positionally. Conzo um, staff was you could kind of intuit what their strategy was. It was offer local guys first. You know, you could pretty much look at who was coming up in two cycles out in Missouri and be like, well, that kid's already getting you know top 75 run. Chances are he'll have an offer. Um, you'd probably be able to see the three or four local guys. Sometimes if there were good players out of Michigan where uh, Cornell Mann theoretically had a connection, you'd see early offers there. Sometimes Missouri would chuck offers out to high-end top 50 kids just to see if they could get a relationship started. But really the bread and butter, it, you know, at least until the 23 class when they really just stopped working, was to offer local first. We're figuring out what this staff is doing. So in in lieu of really understanding where they're operating and kind of what the broader strategy is, I'm looking just looking at where and what type of players they're offering, you know, very loosely, you know, what positions they're sort of prioritizing. It seems like bigs in 23, backcourt in 24. And then 20, the bigger deal, and I have not watched any of these kids because they're rising sophomores, but they've already thrown out eight 2025 offers. I can't remember Zoe ever doing that being at eight offers. I don't think I like, I remember Zoe offering, you know, basically kids that are going to be sophomores other than maybe five total, like the entire time, like an EJ or a Caleb or somebody like that, like guys who were no doubters who you had to sort of 
go after a little bit. But yeah, and two two of those guys are uh, Bashan kids. Are Bashan kids, which yeah, it's it like the process is certainly it's interesting. <laughs> it's, you know, I think we're having to kind of relearn. Um, you know how they're they're going to approach and like and this is one of the things and I think we talked a little about a little bit but uh, you know one of the ways that Florida State was able to you know land a lot of their higher level talent is is they were able to identify those guys early get on them early and and stick it out um, you know like Jonathan Isaac was a guy who they identified very quickly before he was a five star. Well, it wasn't rated as a five star because like you don't you don't rate eighth and ninth graders um you know at that level like you, I think the kids that are all in twenty twenty five might get sort of like a uh, I don't know like a congratulatory level ranking for guys that are gonna be like sure things um but even that you know can can go astray so I think uh I think watching them throw out as many 2025 offers as they have is to me has been a little surprising um but i think it's in fitting of what they've done so i think you can sort of see the the template and the approach there with them oh and the the bj davis ray kid is also a a st louis native yeah Um, they've worked a little bit more local with the it's it seems like it's gotten the local focus gets more pronounced as you get farther away from the 23 class, which seems to be a lot of guys that were either already on the board for CY when he was at Florida state. Then there are some guys that maybe Cleveland state was looking at like Matt Reed. And then there are really a lot of guys who just blew up in April, like in a written page, um, or Rashad Marshall, those types of guys that had really, really good early parts to the live period that got offers and Missouri was essentially trying to make up for lost time and get in there. So I think what'll be interesting to monitor because June is the grassroots circuit is, is going to quiet down, but we're going to see guys take visits. Who's visiting, who are they getting on campus? Who to me, that's sort of with Zoe, you could always sort of figure out pretty quickly just because the local focus was so heavy. Um, But with this group, I think it's going to kind of be, you know, more traditional, like who's on campus. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. So it's going to be definitely an interesting uh, experience as we sort of relearn uh, the processes and, and how the new staff wants to approach the recruiting. Uh, hopefully the staff is around for a long time. So we get to learn their patterns and can kind of pick up on things and, and understand a little bit better on, uh, you know, who they're after. Um, you know, Matt, as I kind of said earlier in the pod, I do think that the next, um, few months are going to be really interesting to sort of track, uh, to see who they're getting onto campus, uh, see if they're unofficial visits, official visits, who are the guys that they're targeting, um, them getting Arrington Page, uh, you know, onto campus is certainly a good move. Um, a guy who I think a lot of people think has a pretty high ceiling. He's rising kind of quickly up the charts. Um, and he's also apparently really good friends with a, a five-star point guard um, 
they're on the same AAU program. Give me one second. Is it Isaiah Collier? To find his name. Isaiah Collier. Yeah. Um, so Isaiah Collier, uh, you know, another guy that, you know, does have a Florida State offer if you're kind of into trekking those things. Um, and certainly, like, anytime you mention a kid with a five-star next to his name, like, fans are going to get excited. But um, I would, like, I would, I think Page is an exciting player on his own. Uh, if there's been some kind of rumors of like the, you know, the, the package deal, I always discount that when you hear it because everyone, like every kid in high school talks about, oh, we want to be a package deal. Like I, you know, you're my boy, like everybody's best friends in high school. Um, you know, but then you get onto college campuses and you're doing your visits and what clicks for one guy doesn't necessarily click for another. And I, you know, I really think that anytime you hear like those guys talking about package deals, it's unless they're like twin brothers, um, chances are they're probably going to go somewhere else. Um, so I wouldn't put too much stock in that. I like Paige. We'll see who else kind of comes onto campus. Um, we are, uh, I think we're going to wrap this up, Matt. Do you have anything else you want to get to? Nope, it's the Doldrum Podcast. Um, I'm drinking a a lovely uh, Russell's Reserve uh, single barrel pick from from Kroger in Western Kansas or Western Kentucky. I'm drinking water, delicious, delicious water. Yeah, well. One of us is sticking to the "this is a drinking pod" uh, meme, um, but yeah, like I, I'm really getting into these like Russell's picks. Um, they're delicious. So if if you're a, a whiskey person and you want a bottle that's not too expensive, if you can find it, uh, if a local liquor store has a Russell's Reserve store pick, uh, snatch it up. That's that's good. From Wild Turkey, Wild Turkey always does a good job. Um, Wall Turkey 101 is one of my, my favorite cheap zippers. So there's my advice. Um, trying to make this podcast last to at least a 40 minute mark. <laughs> I tried folks. I tried to yeah, get to 35. You were, you were not helpful at all. Normally count on Matt to, uh, drone on for at least, at least 30 or so minutes, uh, on his own. Um, but yeah, so we're going to get out of here. That's it. We're out. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you uh, do like this podcast, you should probably make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast feed wherever you download and listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store. If you are subscribed, uh, you also will get episodes of Before the Box Score beamed directly into your phone, and you can listen to Nate and BK dissect all there is to know about Mizzou football. You also probably enjoy reading more over at the flagship of rockamnation.com. You can always do the Twitter thing. Give Matt a follow at MattJHarris85. Follow me if you like at Sam T. Snelling. We mostly talk about Mizzou basketball. Um, although lately, Matt, it's been it's been some slim pickings, so not a lot of discussion happened. Um, also go follow at Data Mizzou. Uh, that guy rocks. Uh, maybe we'll have him on a on a podcast here coming up, and you can all 
uh, listen to how awesome Matt Watkins is and, and his, uh, his knowledge of Mizzou basketball. Uh, we are now officially past the 40-minute mark, and so I'm going to wrap this up. We will be back in two weeks, and hopefully there is more to talk about. Until then, thanks for tuning in.